Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to begin reading um, this morning in verse 14. So we'll be looking at verses 14 through 30 together. So we're in the middle of our Matthew, well, not in the middle. We're on the very, very back end of our Matthew sermon series. And um, we are um, in the um, final week of Jesus' life here on earth. In fact, we're within the final hours before Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas, arrested, tried. Peter is going to deny him. Most of his disciples are going to abandon him. He's going to be beaten and crucified. So we're hours away from all of these events happening. And then three days later, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rise from the grave, the greatest single act an event with all of, all of human history will occur and did occur when Jesus arose from the dead. So we're in the middle of, of, of Jesus' final week. Over the course of this study, we've looked at the triumphal entry. We've looked at um, many of the parables that Jesus taught. We looked at when the religious leaders and Jesus went toe-to-toe. And then we also studied what Jesus had to say about end times. And then last week, we began a series of messages dealing with Jesus' preparation for the cross. How Jesus prepared his disciples for his arrest and crucifixion. We looked at how the religious leaders conspired together trying to identify the exact time in which they were going to arrest Jesus. And then we looked at the time where Mary anoints the Lord Jesus Christ. And now this morning we're going to continue to look at key moments of preparation. And within these messages, I hope and pray that all of us are aware of this. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign plan. Absolutely nothing happens outside of God's sovereign plan. Everything that happened during Passion Week happened in accordance with God's plan. His betrayal, his arrest, his death, and his resurrection all happened in accordance with God's plan, and his timing was absolutely perfect. Jesus was on a mission for the moment that he came and dwelt among us. The cross was his mission. Dying in our place was his mission. Becoming the sacrificial lamb was his mission. Dying for our sins was his mission. Victory over death was his mission. Now this morning, we're going to continue to see the key events unfold. So if you have your Bibles, once again, Matthew 26, verses 14 through 30. But before we read these words, let's pray together. Father, we come before you now, Lord Jesus. Just asking, Father, that as we go into this next part of our worship service, And as we read from your word, and as we study your word, Father, we do pray, Lord Jesus, that you will speak to each and every one of us. Father, I pray that you will speak to me, and I pray that you will speak through me. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for each and every person in this room, Lord Jesus, that you will just reveal yourself to them. Reveal yourself to us. And Father, as we at the end of our service... As we gather around these tables and participate in the Lord's Supper, as we remember your life and your death, Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, that this will be a true time of remembrance, a true time of reflection, a true time of gratitude and gratefulness, Lord Jesus, as we remember everything that you did for us. 
For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So beginning in verse 14, we read these words. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest, and he said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with, my, with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had been not born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. Notice our first point this morning. It is this. Judas betrays Jesus. Betrayers. Human history is full of them. Maybe I would be willing to say that all of us in this room have probably been betrayed by someone. It may have been a friend. It may have been a co-worker. It may have been a family member. It may have been by someone that we love. But all of us in this room have been betrayed, or, or as we like to refer to it, probably stabbed in the back. One of the most recognized betrayers, besides Judas Iscariot in human history, is probably Benedict Arnold. Most people don't even know what Benedict Arnold did, and what act he did, what act of betrayal he did, but everybody knows the phrase Benedict Arnold. At the age of 14, Benedict Arnold ran away from home and fought in the French and Indian War. At the outbreak of the Revolutionary War, he joined the American Army as a colonel in 1775. He shared command with Ethan Allen in the capture of Ticonderoga. Later, he led a thousand men into Canada where he fought in the Battle of Quebec. His courage in battle won him a promotion to Brigadier General. But something went wrong. Thoughts of compromise ate ate away at his patriotic zeal. Soon the unthinkable happened. He offered his services to the British and in 1780 devised a plan to surrender West Point to British control. Today, instead of being remembered as a national hero, Benedict Arnold is remembered as as a traitor. Benedict Arnold's name has gone down in our history as one of the lowest of lows of people. While lots of parents have given their children names commemorating biblical heroes or war heroes or national heroes, I do not know of anyone that has given their child the name Benedict Arnold. Anybody in here know anybody that's done that? If they did, it was a sick joke. Okay, hopefully nobody in this room is named Benedict Arnold. But it's just wrong to have done that. 
Likewise, I do not know of anyone that has given their, na- their son the name Judas Iscariot. Like Benedict Arnold, the name Judas Iscariot and the treasonous act he committed represents one of the worst periods in all of human history. Notice in our, in our, in our, in our study together this morning, notice in your points, the first um, sub-point is this. Notice the setup. Judas was one of the twelve. Think about all this man witnessed over a three-year period as he walked and talked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw and witnessed Jesus teach with such authority that no other man that has ever walked the face of this earth taught with. He witnessed Jesus calm the storm, not once, but twice, if not even more times than that. He saw Jesus walk on water with his own two eyes. He was present when Jesus caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, when he raised the dead to life again. He saw Jesus heal men and women with leprosy, exercise demons from people. And he was there that day when Jesus called Lazarus from that tomb and said, rise and walk again. He witnessed all of these things, and yet in the end, He sold the Son of God for a measly bag of coins. In fact, the amount he sold Jesus for was 30 pieces of silver. According to the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver was the value of a slave. In Exodus 21, 32, we read these words. If the ox gores a slave... Male or female, the owner shall go to their master, or shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Judas accepted 30 pieces of silver, which was the same value given to that of a slave. You know what that would be equivalent to in today's um, dollars? It would be about $25. Think about that. Judas sold Jesus for $25. It's just mind-boggling. That was the value that Judas gave to Jesus. You know, last week we looked at Mary. And we looked at the value that Mary ascribed to Jesus. When she took that bottle of expensive perfume worth about 300 denarii, which would be equivalent to one year's wage. Remember what she did? She took that bottle of expensive perfume and she poured it over the head of Jesus. And then um, John tells us that she poured it over his feet. So from the top of his head down to the bottom of his feet, this this perfume just spread across Jesus' body. And John tells us that she took her hair and she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. If you were to ask Mary what value she placed upon Jesus, I promise you she would say there's not enough silver or gold in this world to ascribe the worth that Jesus is to me. How valuable is Jesus to you this morning? How valuable is he to us? You know, we show Jesus how valuable he is to us when we live for him 
And we stand for him, and we proclaim him, and we worship him. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we pray and as we, as we daily read God's word, or consistently read God's word, and we hide God's word in our heart, that is how we show great value and how valuable Jesus is to us. You know, I love what John said. He, he recorded these words in Revelation chapter 4, beginning of verse 9 through 11. He said this, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now I love that chapter, that, those verses. Jeremiah Ascribe great worth to the Lord in this way. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. And maybe you and I continually ascribe great worth to our God and Father. Lord Jesus Christ. You know how valuable you and I are to the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember the cross. Go back to the cross and think about when Jesus outstretched his hands upon that cross and died for us. We looked at last week and we looked and and Looked at these verses, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever leaveth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know how much God loves you? He, he died for you. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ stretched out his arms and allowed himself to be beaten and whipped and spit upon and he, he stretched out his hands and allowed those nails to be driven into his hands and into his feet. That's how much God the Father loves us. So if he loves us that much, he is worthy of all of our praise, isn't he? So we see here in our passage that Judas betrayed Jesus for what is equivalent to $25. Once the business transaction had occurred, we, we read that that in verse 16, and from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Fast forward a little while, and we come to the Passover meal. And beginning in verse 17, again, we read, Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelfth. The Passover was a time of remembrance, a time of remembering Israel's deliverance from slavery. For 400 years, Israel lived in bondage within the land of Egypt. Hard labor in bondage is all they knew for some 400 years. And then the Lord raised up a leader by the name of Moses and God would use Moses to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh's captivity. 
Before the deliverance, though, the Lord sent a series of ten plagues upon the land of Egypt, each intended to get Pharaoh's attention. The final plague occurred when the angel of death swept across the land, killing every firstborn male within the land of Egypt. The only ones that were exempt from this were those that had taken a lamb as directed by the, the Lord and sacrificed that land lamb, an unblemished lamb, and took the blood and placed that blood upon the doorpost and the lentils of their homes. And whenever, wherever there was blood on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over that home. But any home that did not have that, judgment is what that home experienced. Following this event, Pharaoh let the Israelites go. And from that moment on, every year, uh, every year, the Passover is celebrated. The Passover was celebrated during the days of Jesus, and even today it's celebrated amongst Jews. So the disciples come to Jesus and ask him where they were to celebrate the Passover meal. And so Jesus instructed them, as we read in Scripture, what they were to do. One writer says this, Luke tells us that two disciples, Peter and John, took on the job of preparing for Passover. That involved not only locating a suitable room, but also taking the Passover lamb to the temple between 3 and 5 p.m. to have it slaughtered and its blood splashed at the base of the altar, roasting the lamb, securing unleavened bread, preparing the cups of wine, bitter herbs, and mixture of fruit that would be part of the meal. Passover had been celebrated for hundreds of years in commemorative commemoration of God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt and sparing the firstborn of man and beast from the passing of the death angel. With the combination of eating and drinking, singing and telling the story of the original Passover, Jewish families were brought back to God's gracious intervention in their lives. And so, Every year, the Passover would be celebrated. And with this celebration, it was a time of remembering Israel's deliverance from bondages. And it's important for us to understand that that is what happened there. The the Israelites were delivered from bondage, delivered from captivity, delivered from the hand of man. Okay, That is what the Passover was all about, celebrating their freedom that they had experienced. The celebration of the first Passover was a significant event. But as we will see in a moment, the ultimate Passover event occurred when Jesus became the Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, we read, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so, as we celebrate in just a moment at these tables, we are going to celebrate the Passover lamb being that of Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross some 2,000 years ago. But before that, let's continue looking at our, our, our scripture together. Next, we see here the betrayer is identified. In verse 20, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. 
It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And then we see in verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You had said so. Think about this meal, okay? This meal was not open to the public. This meal was a meal in which Jesus and the 12 disciples were gathered around the table together. The men, these men that Jesus had invested in for the past three years, these men that God the Father had preordained to be a part of the chosen 12, within this room there are 11 men that are concerned about all of the things that Jesus has been talking about. They're concerned about the words that he has spoken about his imminent arrest and his subsequent crucifixion and then the resurrection. They're concerned about what Jesus is about to go through. But then there is one in that room that is not concerned. But the rest of those men in that room, they were concerned for their teacher and their friend and the Lord of all who was about to go to the cross. And there was nothing they could do to stop him. They were heartbroken. And in the midst of this meal, Jesus said to all in that room, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. When I think about that, I'm just, I, I, I just wrote down in my notes, just Wow. Wow, when I think about that, those words must have sent a shockwave throughout every single person in that room. And as I reflect upon those men's responses, I'm a bit surprised because Scripture says that every single one of those men in that room, one after the other, say, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? It amazes me that these men in this room asked that question. But even more than that, it amazes me to think that these men thought they were capable of such a treacherous act. Think about that. I mean, surely those 11 men in that room outside of Judas didn't think that they were capable of that, did they? But yet they asked, is it I? Is it I? You know, all of us in this room are like Peter. We've all denied Jesus, haven't we? We've all denied him, knowing him by not proclaiming him, probably. We've denied that we've known him to family and to friends and to classmates and to coworkers, probably. Maybe not. We may not have come out just like Peter did as he was around that fire and somebody came up to him and said, you know, do you know this Jesus? No, not me. I don't know who he is. We probably haven't done it in that way. But, but isn't it the, kind of the same when we don't proclaim Jesus, that we're denying his existence and denying that we have a relationship with him? You know, I think all of us in this room are capable of denying Jesus, and we all have done that. You know, we may have done that in the past, but as we move forward, let's boldly proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in this room, the one that had already betrayed Jesus says these words. He, Judas answered, is it I, Rabbi? He doesn't call Jesus Lord. He calls Jesus teacher here. Because 
Jesus he did not see as his Lord and as his Savior. He saw him as his teacher here. He said to him, you have said so. Jesus said, you have said so. Judas, the man whose pockets jingled a bit more than usual, it appears he went last and said, is it I? And the Lord said, it was him. And so Judas got up from that table and fled that room, most likely went to the religious leaders and made preparation for the betrayal that would happen in a matter of hours. Notice our our final point this morning is this. Jesus establishes the Lord's Supper. In verses 26 through 29, we read, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The first thing we see here is the institution. Now this morning as we prepare to come to the table and partake of the Lord's Supper together, I want us to see a couple of things. The first thing that I want us to see this morning is that the first Passover once again, was a time of deliverance, a time of deliverance from the bondage of man, from the bondage of, of the, uh, of, 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 while they were in Egyptian slavery. When the Israelites left Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea, they were free. No longer were they, were they held captive by an oppressive government, but they, every single one of them were free men, free women, free children, and, and, and they were free. They had God to thank for their freedom. And that is why the Passover was celebrated each year. It was a time of remembrance, a time of remembering the blood of the Lamb that set them free, and a time of looking forward to the day that the Lord Jesus Christ would come, the Messiah would come. Now fast forward hundreds of years, and as these men are in this room celebrating the Passover and celebrating by remembering their freedom from the bondage of man, Jesus will provide for them a new remembrance meal. Jesus, in a matter of hours, would become the sacrificial lamb. In the midst of this meal, the Lord institutes a new meal. He provides a new covenant celebration. This meal would not be a celebration from the bondage of man. Notice this. It is a celebration because of one's deliverance from the bondage of sin. When Jesus became the sacrificial lamb, his blood, his life's blood was shed and his blood provides forgiveness for all who would place their faith and trust in him. No greater demonstration of love ever than the love that Jesus Christ demonstrated for us on the cross. The reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper is to remember the work of Jesus upon the cross. It is to remember that moment whenever he released all of mankind from the bondage of sin. When they place or we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of our sins and place our faith and trust in him by declaring him to be our Lord and Savior, then we are set free. That is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He provided a way for us to no longer live in bondage, to no longer live in bondage to Satan or to this world because we are free men and women and students and children in this room if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and because we have been forgiven of our sins, no longer do we live 
in bondage to those sins. We are free. We are free because of the work of Christ on the cross. And as we come together this morning and celebrate the Lord's Supper, my prayer is that we recognize that we are free people. Not free as far as Americans are concerned, or we're free because we live in America, but we are free because no longer are we held bondage in bondage because of our sin. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, he, he provided a way for us to no longer live bound to that. So as we come together in just a moment, we're going to take a cup and we're going to take this bread. And this bread right here is going to represent the body of Christ. We read in verse 26, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. This, this bread represents the body of Christ. In a matter of hours, Jesus is going to be beaten. He's going to be ripped apart. He's going to be spit upon. He's going to be made a spectacle of. His body is going to be unrecognizable. And he's going to go to that cross. And he's going to allow those men to nail him to that cross. And as we take this bread, we remember that Jesus sacrificed his body for us. And that's love. So as we come to this table in just a moment, let's not come to this table and just eat a piece of bread and drink a, a cup of juice, but let's remember the work of Christ on the cross. Let's remember his love for us, his great love for us. And remember what he had to endure in order for you and I to experience life. So we're going to take this bread and we're going to eat this bread in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And then he took the cup. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the, new, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. The cup was filled with wine. And the wine represents the blood of Christ. Christ, in a matter of hours, is going to shed his blood upon that cross. And that blood is going to provide forgiveness for our sins. In the book of Hebrews 9, verse 22, we read these words. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Had there not been shedding of blood... And under the Old Testament law, for the forgiveness of sin, men's sin would not have been forgiven. Had there not been the shedding of Jesus' blood upon the cross, our sins in this room would not be forgiven. But Jesus did shed his blood, and as a result, our sins are forgiven when we place our faith and trust in him. We also read in the book of Leviticus chapter 17, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Jesus had to shed his blood or there would have been no remission of sins, no forgiveness of sins. So we take this cup and we drink it and we remember the work of Christ on the cross. We remember his blood that he shed upon that cross for our sins. 
Man, just, just the, the verse Romans 5, 8 is still running through my mind. God demonstrated his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us, a bunch of pitiful sinners. But you know what? At the moment that he died for us, he provided a way for every single one of us in this room to be restored. To, to one day achieve a, a glorified state when we stand in the very presence of Jesus one day. God loved us so much that he died for us. And so as we come to this table this morning, let's remember what Jesus did for us. And let's come to this table with a sense of gratitude. Let's not just see this as sometimes we may see this as just kind of an appetizer before lunch. This isn't an appetizer that we're about to partake in. This, this, this bread represents the body of Christ. This cup represents the blood of Jesus. And let's, as we take this, be grateful this morning for the work of Christ on the cross. If you are here this morning and you are a believer, whether you're a member of this church or not, doesn't matter. This table is open for you. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask that you don't come to this table, okay? But I'm going to be standing over here by this door. And if you want to know how you can enter into an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I would love to share with you. This, that is going to, our invitation this morning is going to be us coming to these tables. If there's a decision you need to make, I'm going to be over here standing by the door. But what I want all of us to do is, is come to the table and grab a wafer and to grab a cup. And, and here at the altar, if you want to, you can take of the Lord's Supper or you can go back to your seat and take of the Lord's Supper just however you want to do it and however you feel led. You may need to go to your seat and have a seat and pray for a moment before you partake of it. Okay, But I'm going to bless this in just a moment. And then after I pray, our men are going to come forward and they're going to prepare for our Lord's Supper. And then I'll invite you, as you feel led, to come to the table. So let's stand together this morning. Our men are going to go ahead and come to the table. If you're here this morning, and maybe you have an ailment that prevents you from being able to come to the table... Our men are going to be here, and they'll bring to you the, the, the bread and the cup. You can kind of wave at them, or they will be looking, and they can kind of see um, who may need some assistance, okay? Let's pray together. Father God, we've come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you. And the best way that we know how, with gratitude for what you did for us on the cross, how you went to the cross and you died on that cross and you shed your blood upon that cross and that blood covers us. That blood cleanses us and purifies us. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that all of us will come to this table prepared to partake by remembering with gratitude what you did for us. Lord Jesus, there may be some in this room this morning that do not have a relationship with you. And so, Father, as I indicated, may they not come to this table.
Or may they come over and talk to me and say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. And I can't think of a better day than this day for anyone in this room to be forgiven of their sins and enter into an eternal relationship with you. So, Father, during this time, as we come to this table, during this time of invitation, Lord Jesus, just move and stir each one of our hearts. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Father, for just the privilege of being in your house. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.